preserving the history of Strategic Air Command, the Cold War, and aerospace artifacts. Welcome to the Strategic Air Command and Aerospace Museum podcast. Coming to you from the museum just off I-80 at exit 426. Now here's your host, Museum Marketing Director, John Leffler, Jr. Welcome to the Strategic Air Command and Aerospace Museum podcast. I'm your host, John Leffler, Jr., Marketing Director here at the museum. Glad to have you along for episode number four. Crazy to think. We just kicked this thing off uh, actually earlier this month, and we're already on episode number four. Now, we have a very special guest joining us today. In fact, two special guests. Uh, but before we jump into that, I did want to mention a couple of events that are going on here at the museum, including our next homeschool day, which is Thursday, February 4th. Um, this next one is called Camouflage. Where did they go? You can learn about the art of hiding in plain sight, learn all about natural camouflage, man-made camouflage, explore the technological possibilities in invisibility. I think that's like one of the, the superhero powers that people say they would love to have the most is the power of invisibility. Just to be able to be a fly. Well, you wouldn't even be a fly because you'd be invisible. Uh, camouflage is our next homeschool day. You can learn all about it. Check out the education page at sacmuseum.org. And uh, speaking of our education team, they have been working very, very hard on our next exhibit, Build It, which is an engineering exhibit. That's coming up Saturday, February 13th. You can join us and get a closer look at the E in STEM now, for uh, those that don't know what STEM is, science, technology, engineering, and math. So we're going to be focusing specifically on engineering. It's a one-of-a-kind engineering exhibit connecting different types of engineering with local careers. So we're going to have an opportunity for visitors of all ages. So mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, the kids, you'll get to uh, be able to come here, invent, design, analyze, build, and test your skills uh, like. Uh, we're going to challenge you to light up an entire city, save a sinking ship, test the flight of an airplane design, and construct a tower strong enough to withstand an earthquake. Question is, can you build it? And many thanks to our Build It Engineering Exhibit uh, partners, the uh, Richard Brooke Foundation, Farm Credit Service of America, OPPD, AAA, and HDR. So that's what we have coming up here at the museum. You can always visit SAC Museum dot org uh, to learn more about that and uh, also would encourage you to follow us on the socials facebook twitter instagram and we do have a youtube channel as well all right so jumping into our first guest who we're going to uh, visit with here in just a bit um, i do want to mention though that joining me today uh, to talk with our special guest is our museum curator Brian York. Brian, how you doing? Doing pretty good, John. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you along, man. Uh, especially uh, since we have a very special guest with us today. This is something that uh, as soon as soon as I learned about it, I I thought to myself, this absolutely is a topic that we should discuss on the Strategic Air Command and Aerospace Museum. Now, every day I jump in the car and drive up, as does Brian uh, from Lincoln to be here at the museum. And for those that have lived in Lincoln for a while, you should be familiar with what is known as Lincoln's Air Park, which is the uh, industrial zone that's out in Northwest Lincoln. But did you know that uh, it wasn't just the Air National Guard that's been there for all this time? It was actually once known as the Lincoln Air Force Base, strategic bombers, long-range missiles, 
they stood guard in and around that base during the uh, time of the Cold War. It was a strategic air command base and air base that while a lot of what we talk about here, you, you tend to immediately think about off it. There is a amazing, fascinating story with the uh, Air Force Base uh, down in Lincoln. And so we're going to be visiting with Robert Branting, the uh, author of A Mighty Force for Peace, which is a history of the former Lincoln Air Force Base. And he's actually the director of the Lincoln Air Force Base. And we, we use that term uh, because you earned it. Uh, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of work that goes into this. It's an amazing story. We're going to visit with Robert Branting. Uh, that's coming up next on the Strategic Air Command and Aerospace Museum podcast. Visit us online at sacmuseum.org. More of the Strategic Air Command and Aerospace Museum podcast coming up. Join us on a journey that will educate, inspire, and entertain. Discover the stories of Strategic Air Command, the Cold War, and aerospace exploration. The Strategic Air Command and Aerospace Museum exists to preserve history and ignite the future with dynamic exhibits, programs, and events. Imagine. Innovate. Inspire. The Strategic Air Command and Aerospace Museum Open daily, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., just off I-80 between Lincoln and Omaha at exit 426 in Ashland. For more information, visit us at sacmuseum.org. Help us help you. Take our one-minute guest survey at sacmuseum.org. Back to Strategic Air Command, and aerospace museum podcast. Welcome back to the Strategic Air Command and Aerospace Museum podcast. I am John Leffler, Jr., joined today by our curator, Brian York, and a very special guest, Robert Branting, author of A Mighty Force for Peace, a history of the former Lincoln Air Force Base. Robert, how you doing? Hey, very good. Glad to have you along here today, man. Um, now, this is a, a cool opportunity for us because a home for you is actually right now in North Dakota. So talk a little bit about what you're doing up there. Well, um, I run the uh, Ronald Reagan Minuteman Missile State Historic Site uh, by Cooperstown, North Dakota. Um, for shorter terms, we just call it Oscar Zero because that's what the Air Force called it. Um, you know, it was an operation from 66 up to about 1997. And uh, basically, uh, we gave tours of the top site where support crews were. And 50 feet down below the surface where the launch control center were, where two missileers stood duty. So now you're in North Dakota, but life for you started down where Brian and I are, are residing today, and that is in Lincoln, and not just in Lincoln, but kind of in the flight path uh, of the Lincoln Airport, which, talking to you today about the Lincoln Air Force Base, but uh, how, how did that start for you? Because you've written this book, A Mighty Force for Peace, A History of the Former Lincoln Air Force Base. Um, this is a pretty hefty book. This is not a coffee table book. We're talking about nearly 500 pages of history. Um, to, to peruse, where did this start for you? Well, you know, I, I grew up in Lincoln. You know, I lived, um, I was born down there, and uh, you know, living beneath that flight path, you, all you were seeing when I was little, those RF4s like you have out here at the museum, um, come screaming in. You know, as a little kid, you, you can't help but go outside and look at those. But of course, those Offutt planes. Uh, I remember looking last. I remember those EC135s coming in. Of course, the E-4s that are based in Offutt, they would just seem to float in the air as they came down for those touch-and-goes at Lincoln. But you learn, you know, from the SAC Museum back when it was up in Omaha, um, I should say uh, Offutt, and then when it came down here, just a fascination with SAC. And then when you learned that Lincoln was a part of SAC, it was just, 
we'll just run from there. You know, a question for both of you. We're joined by Robert Branting with the uh, Lincoln Air Force uh, or Lincoln Air Force Museum and uh, Air Base Museum, I should say, and uh, Brian, your curator here for the museum. But Lincoln as a Midwestern hub for aviation, this is something that really struck me. You know, you live in Lincoln today and you talk about the Lincoln Airport. And we've got, you know, a few different airlines, including United Airlines, which has been in Lincoln forever. Um, but you don't realize this was Lincoln was an epicenter for for aviation. Uh, yeah, it really is. I mean, it goes all the way back to the early, early days of aviation. Lincoln had uh, uh, an air uh, training school there that actually Charles Lindbergh was first learning how to fly. Uh, they, and I'm forgetting the name of the company that built the, uh, aircraft arrow. Yes. At one time they were actually the largest producing aircraft company in the country. Yeah. And you know, Lincoln standard was down there as well. Um, there was thoughts in the 1920s, you know, air, air travel was the absolute future and Lincoln was going to become basically what Wichita is thought of today, just a manufacturing and training. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 1941, that was the year that I wanted to bring up uh, with Pearl Harbor, and this nation on edge, obviously on the cusp of, of entering World War II, really everything in and around Lincoln, um, the production, it, it was all heightened. And, you know, you, you drive through Havelock. There, were, there, was a, there was a plant that was, that was in Havelock. There were a number of, of airfields. You know, who was, who was spurring this? Was it, was it purely the location? I mean, being in the center of the country, was that what it was? Because there were air bases that were around Nebraska, either of you for that matter. Uh, it's uh, just before and at the start of World War II, obviously the U.S. government is looking for how they're going to beef up production, beef up training. Uh, and they're looking, obviously, towards the center of the country. But you also have the state and the communities vying for that. Uh, Nebraska was a, a key point as far as having multiple air bases, uh, uh, munition arsenals, training facilities, and production scattered throughout the state. A lot of it has to do with the state of Nebraska because we, we always get joked about and kidded about being so flat. Well, being flat is good when you're trying to land an airplane. <laughs> uh, but also we had over 300 uh, days of sunshine, which was great. And since we are a little bit farther north, it's a little cooler, which air, airplanes like to fly in a little cooler weather. So it worked out very well. And you had these air bases scattered throughout the state. But Lincoln, uh, as Robert can attest to, was definitely vying for this. And they already had a lot of infrastructure in place. You know, it's just amazing how uh, different communities in Nebraska really reached out to the government to get these bases. And uh, they weren't, certainly were not all alike. Um, you had glider training out in the Panhandle, out of Alliance. Um, you look at the bombers, um, the you know, uh, Fairmont, uh, some of the core of the uh, 509th Composite Wing, um, a group, I should say, back in those days, you know, the, the group that uh, bombed Hiroshima and Nagasaki. But back in Lincoln, you're looking at a mechanics school um, at least for the first half of World War II, and uh, basically a, a big community that was supporting also a contract flying school at uh, what was Union Airport and uh, manufacturing. Now, when you say Union Airport, are you talking about the Union College area of Lincoln? or Because w- w- you mentioned there's a lot of different airfields that were in and around Lincoln. And so now as someone that lives in Lincoln, and I'm sure anybody else that's there right now, they're like, 
you know, kind of going scrolling through their head, what are the areas where we could have had all of these these different airfields? Because really, Lincoln Air Park and the Lincoln Airport right now is primarily the only area that you would think of. Right, and you look at uh, there's Page Field that was down, I believe, by Lincoln Memorial uh, Park. Um, you know, you think of 24th and O Streets. It's a big kind of congested city now, and there was a, a flying school right there on O Street. But Union Airport, you're up there by. Um, used to be the old Highway 77, but um, kind of the old Lincoln dump, you had a uh, Arrow Airport uh, later on, but Union Airport basically took over Lincoln operations uh, when the Army and later the Air Force took over Lincoln Airport. Visiting with Robert Branting, author of the book, A Mighty Force for Peace, A History of the Former Lincoln Air Force Base, and uh, lucky to have our curator, Brian York, able to take some time out of his busy schedule to join us as well. Now, you've touched on, both of you have touched on this a little bit. And before we uh, before we go to break, I wanted to ask again the the whole air park area, the the appeal of Lincoln as a hub for aviation, but also for military bases. Uh, we we go from you know when you look at it now, you don't realize. I mean, Huskerville, all the homes that were built, the development of the lake out there. Uh, with all the activities that they had on any given weekend, you'd have cars backed up from the gate, you know, people getting in and going to the base, whatever different kinds of activity that they have going on. Was this something that was, I guess, maybe um, exclusive to the Midwest? Were we in an advantage uh, versus maybe having these types of facilities uh, on either of the coasts or more to the North, more to the South? You mentioned the 300 days of sunshine never even occurred to me that you know dealing with the weather that lincoln you know in a lot of ways we we do have that benefit but when you when you think about those that are up at the top that are making the decisions about about where these air force where these bases will or won't be was was that it was it just we were fortunate enough to be in the midwest end of list <laughs> well i mean that definitely plays a big part in it uh but when you look at world war ii and war production it is scattered around the country uh, what part of that benefit also was the rail lines because we had crisscross of rail lines. As, as you look at the interstate system now, you've got 29 and I-80 intersecting right there by Omaha. Well, you've got rail lines that are coming through also. So the rail is already established. So getting all the materials and the people moving across the state, you look at North Platte, Grand Island, all of that makes it very advantageous. Uh, when you go out to Alliance, looking at the, the glider and the paratrooper training school, they just put in a spur. Uh, you, you look at that and they had to build up a lot. Um, when they first started putting troops out there, they were housing them in people's homes until they could build up the tent city and event, eventually barracks. But you had this scattered across the Midwest, uh, but also it's in other areas when you start looking at, say, Tuskegee down in Alabama. Uh, a lot of things are scattered around. They like having the bombers and the gliders and the transport aircraft in this area because everything is uh, more sparsely populated. So there's a lot of advantageous things to Nebraska and to the Midwest, but a lot of this is going on around the country. Visiting with Brian York, curator here at the museum, and Robert Branting, author of the book A Mighty Force for Peace, a history of the former Lincoln Air Force Base. A lot of positive economic impact uh, for the, the Lincoln um, Air Force Base, uh, you know, being in the capital city um, and definitely advantages for both the city and the base. Uh, but there were some events that took place and really a time when you think of the Cold War 
when maybe being in Lincoln wasn't one of the greatest <laughs> uh, possible spots. And we're going to touch on that next in the Strategic Air Command and Aerospace Museum podcast. Have a question? Guest request? Email marketing at sacmuseum.org. More of the Strategic Air Command and Aerospace Museum podcast coming up. Home is where the heart is, and sometimes where school is. And sometimes it's time to get out of the house. So join us for a fun day at the Strategic Air Command and Aerospace Museum with a program designed specifically for homeschool families. Students of all ages will participate in hands-on interactive activities in a themed workshop, science, aerospace, aviation, and more. Homeschool days happen on the first Thursday of each month. Learn more about homeschool days at the Strategic Air Command and Aerospace Museum at sacmuseum.org. Promoting learning through imaginative, innovative, and inspirational educational programs and exhibits. Visit sacmuseum.org to learn more. Now back to the Strategic Air Command and Aerospace Museum podcast. Welcome back to the Strategic Air Command and Aerospace Museum podcast. Today, visiting with Robert Branting, uh, who is the author of A Mighty Force for Peace, a history of the former Lincoln Air Force Base. And if you would like to get a copy of this book, you can visit lincolnafb.org. Fantastic book. Uh, some amazing history for anyone that lives or has lived in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, it's a book that you should definitely dive into. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the positive economic impact of the Lincoln Air Force Base uh, for the capital city. Um, we have discussed just really how Nebraska in general was a fantastic spot for the aviation industry and how Lincoln became a hub. But it wasn't always uh, super positive. And one of the things as I was I was reading and, and preparing for today um, that really struck me is um, some of the unfortunate accidents that occurred uh, while the Lincoln Air Force Base was open, um, specifically the uh, the accident in Soresco. Yeah, you're going from World War II into the early days of the Cold War. There's just a massive leap in technology all across the board. Um, you have these former crew members who are on B-29 bombers as a slow, slower, uh, relatively lumbery bomber. They're transitioning into the swept wing jet bomber that has three crewmen that have a lot more jobs to do. But basically, you're fielding those um, in the thousands of in the early 1950s. And basically, you know, there's just a, a, big, a big training curve uh, trying to learn the flight envelope of those aircraft. But also, um, even the mechanics, they're just trying to figure out um, how best to keep these planes flying. And with Ceresco uh, in 1956, uh, what we understand is that the plane exploded midair. Um, there were problems with B-47s with wing fatigue in the late 50s uh, due to low-level flight. It was just a new technology that uh, it needed a lot of care and patience with. Now, and you you had mentioned that uh, you know you when you think of aviation hubs, what Wichita is today, Wichita, Kansas. Um, that first B forty seven came from Wichita, and I and I'm trying to recall the year right now off the top of my head. But the first one that showed up, um, and then there ended up being ninety of them, I believe, at their at the peak that were there at the, at the Lincoln air force base. Um, how much of it was, you mentioned post-World War II, 
were we, we, we were just not keeping up. I mean, it was the technology and, and the manpower. We just weren't able to match those up with, because it is, I mean, you, you talk about, you just think about Duncan Aviation, a huge supporter of the museum here and, and the amount of uh, mechanics that they have down there and the education that they have to keep up on. It seems like it's a pretty tall task. I mean, you're looking at the Korean War. There was definitely a sense of urgency with the Cold War heating up. And the Air Force is basically looking at uh, those new jet bombers. You know, they had the B-36 at the time. Um, great aircraft. It was very expensive to handle, very large, uh, required special uh, longer runways. But the B-47 was proving to be, you know, the B-29's replacement and kind of the forefront of technology before that B-52 was coming online. So basically, there was a huge rush into production to get that nuclear deterrent force um, stable, ready to go to prevent possible, uh, you know, Soviet aggression around the world. You know, Brian, it's interesting. Robert brings up the the Cold War heating up, and a few months back, we opened our latest exhibit, High Pressure: The Korean War in Aviation, and a big part of what you and your staff put together is uh, the impact that Curtis LeMay and Strategic Air Command had, obviously, with with the Cold War. Um, that dynamic kind of putting you on the spot here, but if you had to characterize it, that dynamic between the Lincoln Air Force Base and, and Offit, what was that like? Well, it's, uh, I think Is it was it a big, big brother, little brother kind of thing or, <laughs> uh, not, not really just because, uh, Lincoln was, uh, essentially a strategic air command base. And so they answer to Offit, uh, but, and it, you see that it was very needed largely because they have the extended runway uh, and it's a place to house all of these great jet bombers and their tanker counterparts, but not interfere with the normal day-to-day operations of the headquarters. So I don't, uh, I didn't see anything that would cause any animosity or any confrontation between the two, except maybe when it comes down to where Strategic Air Command is looking at adjusting bases and they basically pull out of Lincoln. That, I, I see that. It, one is that's, that's going to be a hit against the community of Lincoln. They actually don't want them to leave. Um, and then you also have the service members, the pilots, the crews, that yes, they a lot of times will move from unit to unit or they'll move to another base. But a lot of them do. Uh, there's uh, some folks from the 97th uh, Strategic Refueling Squadron or Tanker Squadron who I met some of those years ago, who they were Lincoln natives. They joined the Air Force, they traveled the world, and they finished out their tour with an Air Force back in Lincoln. And But they were like the last squadron that was in Lincoln. And so you have people that lose that aspect of it. Um, but other than that, yeah, it's uh, Lincoln still serves as a, as a great asset, actually, to off it now. Because we, they, we had the flooding of 2019, and they moved all their airplanes down to Lincoln. And you, you talked, uh, you mentioned confrontation, and you think of confrontation and crisis. Robert, 1962 and the Cuban Missile Crisis. When we learn about this in school, we don't talk about Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> it just doesn't come. It doesn't come up in the curriculum. But Lincoln in 1962, there was a. Uh, there, there was some high anxiety. Right. And, you know, with uh, October 62, the, the B-47s at Lincoln, even in 1961, Strategic Air Command saying, we need to phase out these bombers. We're going to bring in uh, B-52s, hopefully the B-70 that really ne- never really came about. 
But in uh, 62, those BO-47s were certainly still in service. And uh, Offutt basically, you know, let's not say the, the red button, but picked up that red phone and said, you know, get the force generated, get them ready for war. Uh, the 307 bomb wing at Lincoln was able to generate every B-47 to emergency war order status to be able to conduct the war, um, except for one aircraft. So um, Atlas F missiles in and around Lincoln, um, you know, they were just put into service. It's also a, a kind of a brand new science. These are America's first missile silos um, among some of them. But they're really working hard, the 551st Strategic Missile Squadron, to generate those missiles on alert, and it was not easy. You mentioned the Atlas F missile. There was also the Hercules, um, the the Nike, um, the Nike Hercs, right, uh, missiles as well. Your average citizen in Lincoln, Nebraska, in, in 1962, the early, the early, you know, 60 to 66, I guess, was really that time frame. Are are they aware of all of the surrounding communities throughout southeast Nebraska where these missile silos are located? Do they understand the significance? of this part of the country as it was, you know, relates to our Cold War defense? You know, it, it was certainly a part of the local daily news um, as far as, you know, the missile site construction was going, getting them on alert. It, it's kind of funny, you pick up the newspaper from Lincoln uh, on October 23rd, 1962, after Kennedy came on TV, and the base public affairs officer says, I don't know anything about our alert. And it's like, obviously, things are going on, but... Um, you were looking at the Nike Hercules installations, uh, air, uh, surface-to-air missiles to protect both Offutt and Lincoln defense areas. Um, you know, the Atlas F missiles are on, uh, on alert um, as best they can. The Atlas D missiles around Omaha. It's, it's hard to basically put into... There's so much Cold War history in just southeast Nebraska that is definitely a part of the project to get that history preserved out there to let people know it was, you know, I wouldn't say ground zero, but it was definitely um, a huge part of facing national defense. And that project, um, the Lincoln Air Force uh, Base Museum, LincolnAFB.org, is a website that you can uh, visit and find uh, Robert Branting's book, A Mighty Force for Peace, A History of the Former Lincoln Air Force Base. Uh, This museum, talk a little bit about um, where you are right now in the process because obviously being here and, and living the museum life on a day-to-day basis, it's a, it needs to be a labor of love. You have to have passion and motivation for it. It takes a lot of work. There's a lot of grinding that goes, you know, into making this thing uh, happen. And clearly from your childhood, you have a passion for the Lincoln air force base. Where is it right now? Well, basically we were looking, um, it kind of, with me, it goes all the way back when I was 15. They had something called GeoCities. It was a free website. You know, you got that open. but And then you started connecting with the veterans, and it was just amazing to hear their stories from everything from, you know, they, they had a, a rough experience with uh, UNL students all the way to, you know, I remember where I was during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, but essentially what you're looking at is that um, – we're trying to get something more physical. Um, of course, we're, we're definitely online, Lincoln AFB, LincolnAFB.org, we're on Facebook. Um, but just having museum for a day events, I've got a whole closet full of Lincoln Air Force Base memorabilia models and stuff that we like to bring out, that we like to bring out, you know, members of the community and also the veterans to help share their stories. But, you know, the hope is one day we can maybe get something uh, a little more permanent going. 
Now, so when you talk about these Lincoln Air Force Base days where you're, you're pulling out some of the, the collection, the artifacts, where is this happening? Well, um, in the past, uh, it has happened at the Lincoln Army Airfield Regimental Chapel. It's the last World War II uh, remaining building at Air Park. Everything else is uh, either Cold War or later uh, related. Um, we're not sure if we're going to be able to use that in the future, um, so we're looking at um, other venues in Lincoln. LincolnAFB.org is a website that you can visit uh, really for anyone that is a, a wanting to learn more about the Cold War, but especially for those that live in Lincoln or have family in Lincoln, just know where Lincoln, Nebraska is, just 20 minutes south of us here at the Strategic Air Command and Aerospace Museum. A Mighty Force for Peace, a history of the former Lincoln Air Force Base, uh, definitely a must read. My thanks to Robert Branting, the uh, author of the book and our museum curator here at the Strategic Air Command and Aerospace Museum, Brian York. Thanks, guys. Hey, thank you, John. Hey, thanks. Thanks again for joining us on the Strategic Air Command and Aerospace Museum podcast. Uh, my thanks to Robert Branting, author of A Mighty Force for Peace, a history of the former Lincoln Air Force Base. You can learn about uh, what Robert has going on at LincolnAFB.org. Also, thanks to Brian York, the curator here at the museum. I want to let you know that we uh, have our Build It exhibit, an engineering exhibit, coming up on Saturday, February 13th. We're going to kick that off. We'll get a closer look at the E in STEM with this one-of-a-kind engineering exhibit. We're going to give you the chance to invent, design, analyze, build, and test your skills. And uh, just a couple of weeks, February 4th, our next homeschool day, uh, this will be camouflage, the theme. Where did they go? You can learn about the art of hiding in plain sight, natural camouflage, man-made camouflage, and explore the technological possibilities in invisibility. That's our next homeschool day camouflage coming up February 4th. You can learn about all of the events that we have going on here at the museum at sacmuseum.org. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, as well as our YouTube channel. And if you have any questions, comments, uh, or if you would like to be on the Strategic Air Command and Aerospace Museum podcast, uh, go ahead and give us an email, uh, shout at marketing at sacmuseum.org. Take care. This has been the Strategic Air Command and Aerospace Museum podcast. Email marketing at sacmuseum.org for more information, questions, and suggestions. Learn more about events, programs, and exhibits at the Strategic Air Command and Aerospace Museum at sacmuseum.org.